Hey, 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 y'all. My name is Dana, and I'm your host of the Graceful Truth Unscripted podcast. We're here to speak truth in the most graceful way possible about experiences we've had through the adoption and foster care system, along with parenting special needs children. This is a safe place. We don't sugarcoat anything here. These are all real people telling their stories. Our goal is to be the voice for those who can't speak. We are here to share our stories and to share our realities. We're also here to make sure that we effectively change the legislation and the laws. It's time to come together and become one voice for these children. So join us as we embark on this journey together. All right, guys, today we have Roman Roberts, who uh, grew up in foster care homes. And as he calls it, were less than ideal, encountering various types of abuse caused him to join uh, the military. And he found a family there, which led him on a journey as an interrogator, deploying multiple times and supporting various different various special operations teams. The trauma from foster care in the military took its toll as he transitioned and led him to almost to community suicide and almost losing his marriage. He began his journey to face the traumas and through faith journaling and real talk with himself and others, he found healing and now is encouraging others to do the same. So welcome Roman I am so happy to have you here. I'm pumped. <laughs> and I'm pumped. I cannot wait to hear, you know, I've heard a tad bit about your story, just little snippets on some other podcasts that you've shared. Um, and I'm super excited to have you here. So I'd love for you to go ahead and jump in and just tell us a little bit about your story. And then we can dive into these various different uh, things. Yeah, I mean... Through. You know, it's an interesting story because it really did begin, you know, all the way back from the very beginning, being in foster care, you know, how your formative developmental years are is very impactful in your life, you know, and um, I always say that the male, like the human, the male brain doesn't even fully develop until the age of 25. So literally, in my entire development phase, I was just packing trauma on top of trauma. And so definitely not a, not a healthy thing. You you don't know what you don't know. So I didn't know that at the time, but grew up in foster care, bounced around, kind of developed a little bit of a a rebel complex, didn't really like people, but also tried to be a chameleon and give people what they wanted, whether it was, you know, in my behavior, the way I responded, kind of avoiding certain situations. I mean, I was literally on survival mode from the time I was born pretty much. And we all are. So I don't try to say like my trauma is greater than anyone else's. Um, It just definitely is something that I don't think is talked about a lot. Foster care kids don't really talk about it and they get away and they're out. You know what I mean? Like once you leave the system, very rarely do you come back and try to speak to those foster kids and things like that. So, you know, I made that journey and I was going to be the same way, right? Joined the military, left my small town, thought I'd never go back to any of it, do any of it. Um, got married and almost committed suicide. I mean, got to a place where I stepped out of my marriage. My wife and I were on the rocks. I was, you know, we were about to file for divorce and, you know, I was sitting in an apartment room all by myself, no furniture, no nothing, Uh, put a Glock in my mouth and thought, you know what, like this is where it ends. But then the second thought was, I don't want that to be the case. And so, you know, I started that hard journey and, you know, I, I actually was editing a podcast the other day and I, in, in the pre-talk, I had said, you know, my wife calls me on my bullshit. And that's essentially what happened. Like she called me on the fact that, you know, I wasn't healing. I wasn't doing the things I needed to do. I had no clue who I was. 
And so we both, we both began going to therapy. And for me, it helped me discover my identity, helped me discover that while I knew how to communicate, I absolutely sucked at it. And I mean, I think I still have days where I suck at it. I think a lot of us aren't very good at the communication. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's always room to improve in it. And, you know, I try to help people do that, but also it's a journey for me. You know, I'm, I'm still working to improve every day. And that was the biggest thing I found is to give myself grace as I'm going through this improvement journey. And it begins by knowing who you were. So I started journaling. I started, you know, having those conversations with my wife, with myself to really discover who I was and to show up in that relationship in that way. Now I have a son. So, you know, I try to do the same thing with my son again, not always perfect, but always trying. So. Right. So I want to touch on a couple things. Um, number one, you, you hit the nail on the head, mental health, especially in foster and adoptive children and families, even um, it's not talked about. It's like a taboo subject, not just in, you know, in this demographic, but across the board. And it is one of the things I am very passionate about. And I actually have an episode I am recording um, with a bunch of the stats as well. I was trying to pull them up real quick and I can't find them, but it's, it is an astronomical difference in how, how many of our children and then children becoming adults are suffering from mental health. And it is something that is, to me, it's very, very scary to know that, especially as a mom of two who suffer from mental health issues. You know, my oldest is obviously, he has a lot more trauma um, that he was exposed to versus, you know, our daughter, because we got her straight from the hospital. So she suffered, you know, the in utero abuse. And that, I mean, that was her extent of her abuse. She, she grew up in a stable home with that development. Uh, So it is just something that is I'm super passionate about and vocalizing that. So I appreciate you sharing um, that part of your story. I want to ask though, what was your aha moment? Like what was that moment you were like, okay, I can change this. It's not, you know, the circumstance can be changed. I don't have to sit in this, you know, depression or feeling whatever it is, you know, based on your trauma. Yeah. So I think the aha moment for me was, and I think there's kind of two. And and I think as you go through a mental health journey, you'll have multiple aha moments because you're constantly growing to new levels. But for me, the first one was, like I said, in in that apartment with with the gun in my mouth, right? Like it's really one of those things for anybody who's suicidal or has suicidal thoughts or anything like that. Like the first step is realizing that the life, the world is better with you in it, right? Like taking your life is not the solution, right? So that has to be like the first aha moment that your life has value, right? And then that got compounded by my wife helping me and understanding me and loving me through the trauma and things like that. And I think really and truly my next aha moment was kind of a parallel. So I had my son, my son was born. And now I was like, had I committed suicide, I would not be bringing a a son into the world. Right. Right. And that was a major aha moment and a big changer. But then along with that, very soon after my son was born, uh, I want to say like two years later 
we were at the foster home that I grew up in, right? So in this very short period of time, I had like a lot of aha moments hitting, but the theme was the same, right? My life mattered. Loving myself mattered. Loving others mattered and bringing that love out into the world mattered. And did somebody tell you that or is it just something that kind of just was spoken to you by yourself? Yeah, so a little bit. Uh, my wife, you know, she spoke it and believed in me. Like she saw the best of me, even when I didn't. Um, and right. then really and truly the love piece, like really understanding that kind of came being a father and then uh, put, talking to foster kids, you know, because as I look back on my foster care experience, I painted it through this lens of everything was bad. Everything was less than ideal. But even inside of that, there were a lot of people that loved me, a lot of people who were doing a lot of things to try to help me. I mean, from the caseworkers to, you know, the foster care staff to to all these different things. Right. While while some individual homes may have been bad, there were a lot of people who still loved and believed in me and, and dealt with me when I was a very hard to deal with person. So it was really realizing that even though I had discounted all this love of people, people were still loving me all this time, I just wasn't allowing them to. And I wasn't loving myself, which is the first step, right? You have to love yourself before you can let other people love you. Yes. Um, And so you had a a fairly good experience then with your caseworkers and that team of people um, is what it sounds like. You had a good support system there outside of your foster homes. Yeah. So my caseworker was awesome. Her name's Lucille. She still lives in Stephenville. We're super close. I have pictures of her with my son, you know, like she's, she's like a, like a mom. I mean, she drove me all across Texas, would pick me up from bad homes. Um, I I didn't fully appreciate everything she did at the time, but yeah, definitely. She was, she was an amazing woman and believed in me. Um, there were some people at the foster home, you know, like my house parents when I stayed at the home. And and I have to preface by saying that I was in the foster care in like the late 80s, which mm-hmm. is very different than what foster care is yeah, now. I, I right? bet. <laughs> yeah. So, so like reunification was not the goal. Families being together was not the goal, right? So I have a sister right. that I didn't have contact with until about two years ago, right? So- wow because that wasn't the plan. Like somebody wanted to adopt her. So she was gone. She was out of it. Right. And Mm -hmm. and so that led to her having a very different experience growing up than what mine was. And so I was inside of this foster care system with children who were older, children who were about to age out of the system. Uh, Mm -hmm. This was right before they determined that young children were not supposed to be in these like massive group homes with kids that were older kind of thing, because it was actually detrimental to kind of how they developed. Right. Because it was kind of this bad exposure type thing. Um, So it it was a very different system. And I I can't quote all the science behind that decision, but people in Texas made that decision. And, (laughs) um, and, and so it was a very different experience for me growing up, but there were still caseworkers, house parents, things like that that cared about me, but I was always being bounced around, right? So I'd go to this mm-hmm. great environment, then I'd be kicked off to this home. And this home might be perfect, but I'd be waiting for the other shoe to drop when I'd be taken away. Or the home would be horrible, and I'd be like, when am I getting out of here, right? So, right. so it was kind of this thing. And then I get adopted, and it's not everything that I think it's going to be. 
Um, and, and so now I'm like, okay, how do I get old enough to get out of here? And how do I get out of here? Right. So, right. so it was constantly this, this battle for how to get out. So I never could truly appreciate what people were, were doing always because I was always flight mode. Yep. I always like adrenaline was always high. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the best way I can relate is having been in the military and, and done things like that. Like for, for anyone, like imagine if you do did skydiving or, you know, speeding super fast in a car or go-kart, something that high adrenaline. Now yeah. imagine living that way day in and day out. Now compound that by living that way as a child, right? So mm-hmm. when your brain is developing, your brain is developing in this like high adrenal phase, right? Yep. And, and so, you know, we know the research behind it on how that's detrimental. And as I've gotten older, I've done a lot more research about, you know, adrenal, ADHD, the body's response, mm-hmm. fight and flight, stuff like that. So, uh, but, but really and truly the context is as a child in foster care. And I think it's true for a lot of children in foster care, that constant need for survival, that, that Maslow's hierarchy, right? They're trying to meet that yep. fundamental until that happens. They're constantly on edge. They're constantly right. amped up. And so it creates this, um, detrimental environment, the older you get, right? Because mm-hmm. you, your baseline is so high compared to everyone else around you. Now, what a- were you immediately placed in foster care? What age did you start? I bounced around uh, from the age of three. Uh, so I don't really, so as young as I can remember, I was in foster care. Right. Right. Um, So they say that I was with my original family beforehand, didn't really have a lot of contact with them, still don't kind of thing um, outside Mm -hmm. of my sister. Um, But I kept bouncing around the system in and out until I was, you know, in my early like eight, nine, somewhere in there was when I got adopted into a home. Okay. And that home obviously was not ideal, as you've uh, said on this before. So what... In your adoptive home, what do you think was lacking? Like what made it such a, to where you were constantly, um, you know, on edge on that, that flight mode? Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? Like I actually have never been asked that question before. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I mean, some obviously that, one of the big reasons could be abuse in the home. I mean, obviously that's not okay, but I'm wondering from the the standpoint of were you missing feeling love? Was there something different they could have done in the sense, uh, you know, if you were talking to a foster and or adoptive parent, because most adoptive parents are, are adopting from foster care, what is it like that you could tell us with your experience that may have made you just feel safer, calmer, and be able to really settle in? Yeah, you know, I think it's such a great question. No, it really is. Like, yeah. I, I, I love this question yeah. because as I think about it, um, we just didn't know back then what we know now, right? And so, right. as much as I say it was less than ideal, and I, you know, I blame them for the things they did and I blame myself for the things I did. Right. Like there's all of those pieces. We didn't understand like the developmental trauma. And I think that for any kind of foster parent, like no one ever sat down with me and said, Hey, Roman, you know, 
you've had this super abusive lifestyle growing all the way up. And now we're this family that loves you and want to take care of you. And we, we want to show you this love, right? So I think the first step is mm-hmm. showing that love because again, the, the, I think everything in foster care relates back to love. People yeah. have to love yeah. you and you have to love yourself, right? But mm-hmm. when you're on this survival mechanism, you don't feel like you can love yourself. You feel like you have to be whatever other people want you to be. So I think more encouragement for me to be my true authentic self uh, would have helped me to, to do that, to open up, to open up to that love more. Because really and truly, when my wife and people around me started allowing me to be who I was, well, then I started opening up. I started loving people more. I started letting people love me more. So I think for anyone with a foster child, that first step is letting them figure out their identity because they haven't had an identity. The one commonality with all foster kids is that I all, again, broad generalization, but most foster kids have been bounced around from home to home. Mm -hmm. They go to this home, but they're still in the back of their mind. They want their original family to come take them. I mean, one of my biggest dreams was that my mom would come barreling into the foster home, pick me up, and I'd go live in this mansion in the sky, right? Like, yeah. like that was that idea. And I think that's a fantasy that a lot of foster kids have. Well, just popping that bubble and bursting it and saying, hey, this isn't going to happen. Well, that's not healthy in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, so kind of easing them to that, to understand like, Hey, this happened. Right. But, but I think also for me, my response, my response to people was never great. So the other piece of that is foster parents have to realize that that aggression is going to be there because the only way that the, that a foster child knows how to protect themselves is to either be exactly what you want them to be or push back on you so you're not around them, right? Because that's how they create that safety. Right. They create that space. And that space is either created by closing it and being exactly what you want so you like love them and embrace them and think they're perfect or creating that in their mind or creating that space in the negative to where they push you away where you can't mm-hmm. hurt them. So when you understand that those two spaces exist, I think it becomes a lot better. So you have to understand when they're saying, I hate you, they're not necessarily saying, I hate you. They're saying, Hey, like we're in this uncomfortable space and my response is to push out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you, as that foster parent, you, as that adult have to decide, am I going to use this space to help them and support them? Or am I going to let them express that? Right. Because anger is still an emotion. And foster kids have the right to be angry, right? We have the right to be upset that we got put into this environment, that we got put through one of the most traumatic experiences that people are ever going to go through, right? Moving around is considered one of the top five most traumatic experiences. And foster kids do it on average five to seven times before the age of eight, right? So so this, this is all there. So let them work through that. Sometimes that may be breaking a plate. Other times that may be setting their crying. That may be slowly learning that it's okay to be loved. And so I think just kind of being with them in those moments uh, was was something that I didn't really have, but something that I hope that foster parents are doing a lot more now. Yeah. And that's, it's something I had to learn the the very hard way. Um, We're blessed with an amazing therapist uh, that has been a childhood friend. And she knows how I work. You know, I'm very straight to the point. You got to just tell me what it is. I don't care, you know, good, bad, indifferent. You just need to tell me because 
I haven't been through that situation. I grew up in a loving home with two parents who've been married, you know, granted my father was adopted as a child, but he was never in foster care. So there wasn't ever, you know, when my heart came to wanting to foster and adopt, there was no, he had no um, experiences to be able to help me. Right. We go through this class that they call it, um, you know, to tell you, to try and help prepare you, but they don't, it's not, it's relevant to a specific set of children and that's it. It does, you know, they don't prepare you for the mental side of it. The, the behaviors that you may see, what to do, how to react. You know, I've been told many times that I'm hated and they want to kill me and, you know, just all this various different things. And it's, it's on both sides. So I love that you said that because we've had discussions with both our children. They're, uh, he'll be 11 here shortly, but they're 11 and nine now. About three years ago, they started asking because it's, it's never been a secret. That was one thing that really put trauma and angst on my father. So I always, you know, they, they've always known that they're adopted. <laughs> That's not a secret you know, and they, they ask questions. And I've said that with my therapist, I said, look, if you get a question, please, you know, kind of give me a little heads up. So I not can prepare an answer that I think that they need to hear, but prepare an answer that's age appropriate that they would understand. Um, And it's still kind of hard to grasp. My son was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And just, you know, he took the answer and just left with it. He's very, he's very analytical with everything. So our answer was just fine for him. All right, guys, if you've known me for a hot minute, you know that five years ago, I made the switch to a toxin and chemical free home. And the company that I chose based on all my research was Young Living. And guys, yes, I've actually been to the farm touched the plants, planted plants, and even saw the way that they just care about not just our plants, but the members, us, the everyday people that purchase their products day in and day out and use their products day in and day out. So with this offer, you go to myyl.com backslash d n j floyd and that's f l o y d this will all be in the show notes and when you purchase your premium starter kit through that link you will be sent a thieves household cleaner which will last you about six months it lasts my family five to six months but we use it on everything floors windows steam mops cars we legit just use it on everything so again that website is myyl.com backslash dnj floyd and that is also in the show notes so hop on over pick your premium starter kit and get yourself a free bottle of cleaner all right let's get back to the show You know, my daughter, on the other hand, she's very emotional. So you got to kind of, uh, you know, 
explain yep, it in the I best way yep. that you can. <laughs> Definitely. So I do love that you said that because that's what we had to create. We had to create their space, which is both of their bedrooms to where it's safe. So anytime they're in that moment, they know they can go to their room, they can scream, they can shout, they can punch the wall if they need to. Or, you know, we had um, like bean bags that they could go in there and just punch if they had to get that aggression out. Uh, you know, anything that they did in that room, we knew that they were safe sending them there. Then they could do pretty much anything they needed to in that room to get that anger out. And they knew once they calmed down to come out, okay, I'm ready to talk about it. Or I'm not quite ready to talk about it. Can we just move on. And that was something that literally changed just so much in our home, you know, and then I started learning that other side of it. It's not necessarily that they're yelling at you. They're yelling at you because you're the person in front of them. Mm -hmm. They're taking everything out on you because you're that, that figure, right? You're, you're there, whoever they're angry at at that moment. Yeah. You are it. Um, and it's taken, I still get hurt every now and then just like any person would obviously, but it, it's taken a lot to understand where they come from. And I'm so glad that you said that maybe if somebody would have had said, Hey, this is your reality. Not just, Hey, you're not ever seeing your mother again. <laughs> you're not ever going back to your family. Um, after all of that, you know, heartache and trauma you've already been through being just taken away from your home and from everything you knew and not knowing where you're going to end up. So um, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And I will add to that, you know, like for me very much. So like there were two, three different pieces, I guess I could say. Right. So um, the family that adopted me was very religious. Right. And that's its own dynamic inside of foster care. Right. Like mm -hmm. God is a very tricky thing for a child who's been given up to understand. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it, it because God is love. Right. And it's very hard yeah. for a child to understand this concept when they're not really being shown love or being mm -hmm. shown in a weird way. Right. So there was that piece. Um, they had an older daughter who they adopted. Right. And there were uh, it, it was just, that was its own other dynamic, right? So she was their child yeah. and I wasn't their child, right? So there's that dynamic. And then there's just me being told exactly what you said, right? Like your family's not, your family didn't want you, you've got given up and you can't see anything or hear anything or know anything about it, right? Because records are sealed. There's no information. You are now ours and in this, right? So again, I go from being this kid who's a foster kid who has this, right? And um, and, and under the pressure of, and I actually said this the other day on Instagram, under the pressure of being inside of that family, I changed my middle name. My middle name was originally Warren and I changed it because I thought like that would assimilate me into that family more, right? So, so like these decisions were never made from a healthy space of me knowing who I was, they were made from a space mm -hmm. of how do I assimilate into this group that I'm being told I have to assimilate into. This is, this is now my group, right? Like I have no say in it and I get it. No one has say in their family, but take that a different level, right? Like you were, if you were born into a family and you weren't adopted, like mm -hmm. you were just naturally born into them. Now imagine being born, having this birth identity, this birth family, having that stripped away from you and then being told, okay, now you are this family identity. 
right? Like that's a lot for a developing mind to process. And I think that's the thing that we forget. And I hope that as I talk about foster care on different podcasts and things like that, that that really becomes aware. And I can only speak to the male side of it because I know my brain fully didn't fully develop until Mm -hmm. the age of 25. And I know I was packing trauma on top of trauma, but Mm -hmm. just, just think about that for a minute, right? Like it's like uprooting a plant just over and over and over again. And then saying, okay, flourish, grow, produce all this amazing fruit. Well, how I have no structure. I have no anything. And and so I think when people really start to understand that piece of it, that you really have to rebuild that root system. Right. And Mm -hmm. you can't build that system by saying, okay, you are now this, right. You were an apple tree. Now you're an orange tree. (laughs) Be happy. You're an orange tree. That's not how it works. Like walk in our family, our family dynamics have been hard because our, both of our children are biracial, um, white mom, black fathers, and our son obviously has that darker skin. So we, he's known since he was little, like he could tell, okay, (laughs) I'm not like my mom or my dad. And it's, it's been something we've navigated so carefully. And it's also been something that we've had others just kind of take notice. And it's a very interesting um, dynamic because every person's their own person, right? I mean, I'm, I was brought up one way, my husband's completely different. And now we have three children, all three, their roots are all different as well. Um, And so we're trying to mesh all of these different, different, you know, things. And it's just, it's one thing I struggle with and not in the sense of like, I don't accept it or anything like that. I just don't under, because again, I didn't grow up in that community, right? Like that's not where I'm from. That's, it's hard to help him know kind of where he comes from and understand that dynamic. But on the opposite side of that, as our, as parents of two children that we didn't birth and even the child that we were surprised with, (laughs) we have just been very open with whatever it is you want to do. I really don't care as long as you're not going to get injured. Like we do have certain things that they can't do because of the trauma and, you know, and the things that they have, but we're very, um, we don't force them into anything. We, we will make them try something like, Hey, just try it one time. If you don't like it, you don't like it, whatever. And it's just been something. It was the only way I knew how to deal with it. Because they do have to find who they are. And like I said, my son's very analytical. He he can look at something and draw it almost to a T. It's really, really creepy. <laughs> and it's kind of frustrating because I can't draw for nothing. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's what he is. His artistry is where he can release himself and what it's what calms him. And then my other child is completely, I mean, it's his half sister, but she is complete opposite. You know, she is very, uh, she has to be right next to somebody. She always has to be in the room somewhere with somebody. And she's more athletic than 
you know, he is, it's just, it's a very interesting dynamic. So when you brought that up, I was like, it's so true because with you, you were moving around to your eight, right? Mm-hmm. It was eight when you got adopted. So um, they were lucky to be, I mean, he only moved once. So we had a smaller trauma with that part of it, but what foster parents have to see, especially if they're going from foster care to adoption is that that child has been to however many homes you don't know. I mean, when they're placed with you, you don't know what type of foster family they were. I, I didn't even know the first family he was placed with. You don't know what they grew up with, you know, the, however long until they came into foster care and, I mean, you can only do what you can do, but you also have to leave space for your children to, um, to flourish and blossom, even if they were your own child. I mean, I, I don't ever remember being forced into anything, right? I remember doing certain things because that's what my family thought they would do, but I was never forced. Like if I said, I don't feel like going, I was never, well, you're coming and pulling me type deal. Um, so I think that that's a good message as well to get out to families. Just, just let them, they've got to figure out who they are on their own. And I think when you allow that, then you're not going to have the trauma that you had trying because you don't know who you are. Yeah, You're just trying to, you're, you're in that survival mode and they're never going to come out of survival mode unless they, they have their own identity. Mm-hmm. And they start to understand themselves too, because I'm sure if somebody had told you, Hey, because of all this trauma, here's what you can expect, or here's what we're dealing with, or here, you know, whatever, like our son has, uh, he was diagnosed with Tourette's recently and it was, we told him, but it wasn't, he was like, yeah, whatever to him. It was just another <laughs> diagnosis you know, cause he's been everywhere and he knows that it's because we're trying to help him. Like, right. right. He knows that we're going to these places, but one day we're in the car and he, one of his ticks was just, I mean, it was going, he goes, I really wish I could stop doing this. Like it was starting to frustrate him. I said, I understand buddy, but your body, I mean, your body can't, it's, it's something, you know, that you cannot control. And it was a nice conversation to have because then he understood, okay, this isn't something I can control. It's something, you know, my body does. I have to learn to live with it, unfortunately. Um, But it wasn't just, you you have to live with it. Yeah. And off we went. It was, this is why. This is why it's happening. You know, this is why you can't do anything about it. And it, it's just taking that extra, I mean, it didn't even take two minutes to explain that to them, really. You know, it, it's not this big, huge conversation you have to have with these children. You just have to say, hey, listen, you're having trauma. You know, you've been through all this stuff. You've been through all these situations. And did you have a therapist growing up back then? No, was that, no. There yeah, was trauma, was, yeah. trauma was not what it is now, right? Like, yeah. I probably had ADHD, but I was just diagnosed as not applying myself, right? Like, I had all right. these traumas, and I was in a small town. Like, that wasn't, like, I wasn't going to get that kind of help. And, and 
that's not mm-hmm. to downplay that. And, you know, I went through what I went through to, to become who I am now and, and all right. of that. But, but point being is we know so much more, we know better. So yep. let's be better. Right. And yep. that, and that's kind of my thing. And I think foster parents need to give themselves grace the same way mm-hmm. as foster children need to give themselves grace. Like you're doing something yes. that most people don't, can't, or won't do. Right. And that's, that's yeah. not saying you're better than other people. That's saying that you're right. navigating a different space. And so inside yeah. of that space, like learn, realize you're going to make mistakes. Like realize that, that one day they're going to say they hate you and, and you're going to snap right back. You know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't make either of you right for snapping at the other person. Mm-hmm. It just means that that's part of this whole journey, this push and pull, right? Like I have a three-year-old son. I have a, a wife. I'm not always the perfect communicator or the perfect husband or the perfect father, but I'm always trying. And I acknowledge that from the things in my past, they caused me trauma that makes certain things unappealing to me, right? Like I don't like forcing my kid to eat because I can remember being forced to eat, right? Like I don't like, um, you know, physical abuse because I was physically abused. Like I don't, physical punishment does not appeal to me in any way, shape or form. So, Mm -hmm. so to me, those are things that I know, right? Those are triggers and I'm constantly going to be inundated as a parent with that. So now as a foster parent, you're constantly going to be inundated with triggers, right? Just like your child is constantly going to be inundated with triggers. And both of you have to realize that and navigate that space together. Like you're in this amazing opportunity to say, Hey, we're both figuring this out together. Right. Cause not a lot of people get the space to say that. And, and right. you know, and there's so many resources and so many things. So just take that opportunity to say, you know what, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to learn and better myself. And, and you doing that encourages the child to do that as well. Right. So, right. so when you both start doing that, it makes it a lot easier to navigate. I think, do I wish my parents had done things differently? Right. Do I think my, my biological parents and my foster parents had done things differently? Absolutely. Do I think I have any control over that? None whatsoever. Right. So, so for foster children and foster parents realize what you can control about the circumstances and what you can't, right. Almost like that serenity prayer and really step into what you can control and say, Hey, like, I can control my emotions, right? Or I can learn to control my emotions if you don't know how, right? So it's just really learning what space you can and can't control. Like you can't control that the child you adopted experienced trauma, but you can control how you respond to that trauma. Are you going to try to beat them into the box of you're a member of this family and you will be this person? Or are you going to say, hey, like, I adopted you because I love you and care about you and want you to grow and develop. And inside of doing that, you're going to find your own way and I'm going to be here to help you because for whatever reason, the family you had wasn't able to do that. So I'm going to try to fill that void knowing that I, I I will never be your biological parent, but I'm going to try to be in that space and be the person that I can be to help you grow and develop into the person that you need to be. Right. Right. When, When we come about it from that angle, it becomes a lot easier to, to get back to that core of opening up and loving themselves and loving you and loving others. Right. Cause that's all this all comes back to is love. Right. Like it, it, it was so crazy for me when that light bulb kind of hit that yeah. foster care and healing from foster care is all about love. It's not about forgetting that I was traumatized. It's not about forgetting that 
the, the man who raised me is never the type of father I want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not about ever forgetting that or forgetting that and just blocking that out. It's about accepting that and realizing those are my learning points and those are how I can be better. And maybe I can tell other foster kids and they can be better. Maybe I can talk to foster parents and they can be better. Right. Like it's realizing what I was given and not shying away from it saying I'm out of that. I'm not going to go back to that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm out of it. Cause that's not healing from yeah. your trauma. That's hiding from your trauma. Right. Yep. So actually heal from it and step into it. And as a foster parent, encourage your child to do that. Encourage them to realize like, Hey, you've gone through more trauma than most kids your age, not in a way to berate them or make them feel bad, but in a way to say you have a strength and resiliency that most people don't experience until they're way further inside of life. So you can right. either see it as a crutch or you can see it as, you know, the stepping stone to greatness. When I first started speaking, I would always tell people like your hustle has to be bigger than your struggle, but not in the sense of hustle, like what, you know, Gary V and Facebook and Instagram say about hustle. I'm saying that that just diehard ethic or desire to be better than you were yesterday, because mm-hmm. fundamentally we all have that hustle, that fire, that flame, that drive, that motivation, whatever you want to call it inside of them. The problem is, is for foster kids, it gets beaten down and pushed down, right? Yeah. Because people don't love them, because they feel that people don't love them, because they're put in this space where all they've seen is trauma and abuse. So help them pull that back out and go, hey, like you've got a fire in you, you've got a passion in you, and I'm going to help you find that. Because once you find that, no matter how many homes you went to, no matter how many times you were abused, no matter how many drug addicts you were around, you're going to rise above that because now you have that realization of what you are and what you can be. And oh, by the way, then you get to go back and help other people avoid the pitfalls you saw, right? Because that's all any of us are trying to do is make better for the next generation. Whether you're a parent, a teacher, a friend, just human nature is to make the path easier for everyone else. Yes. And the only way to do that is share your experiences and share what you wish you had or had done. I mean, everybody's going to have regrets no matter what. We all can't be perfect. We all can't be on it because we're still learning so much from both ends of this, right? So um, if you had one thing to say, to somebody who is in foster care, what would that be? And if you had one thing to say to foster parents, what would that be? So I've really touched a lot on the love piece, so I'm not going to beat that dead horse, but um, (laughs) I do think love is important for for foster kids and foster parents universally. Right. Mm -hmm. But that aside to, to foster kids, like you're strong, like you have gone through more for every foster kid, if you're setting like wherever you're listening to this ad, or if you go into your classroom the next day or your sports team or wherever, right? Like look at those kids around you. Most of them have not been through the traumas that you have or the experience that you have, right? So you have this unique strength inside of you because you're experiencing something and you're creating a resiliency that most people wait forever to find out that they have right? So you have it. So cultivate it and use it. Take those traumas and 
let them build you stronger. I get it. It sucked, right? Like I'm not looking back on my abuse going, man, I absolutely love that. I got beat. I I absolutely love that. I got abused, right? Like I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is I've learned from that. I've channeled that and I've driven that into another outlet. So do the same thing, no matter whether that abuse is, you know, emotional, physical, sexual, whatever it is, I get it. I've been through them all. So definitely just, just channel that abuse and don't let it cripple you and stifle you because it gets so easy to get caught up in that cycle. Right. Yep. Um, so that would, that would be for children, for foster parents, man, just learn, like we have so much more at our fingertips. And I say this as a parent myself, right? Like there's just so much more we know about child development than we did when I was going through the foster care system, when you were a child, right? Like we know so much more, but we try to keep following these same things that, you know, our parents or the people who raised us did when really and truly we have so much more knowledge, so much more information. So take that information and change it. I get it. That may mean you have to do something that, you know, your dad or your mother thinks is weird, right? When you go to Thanksgiving dinner and they go, you should not do that with your child. You you know, you can say, Hey, look, like this is what we're going to do because I know this is better. And guess what? Mm -hmm. When your child sees you do that, that then empowers them to do that. Right. So, so stop thinking of, I just have to just do everything that was told, break those generational curses, right? However you want to call it, you know, learn from those experiences and take that knowledge and make the next generation better. Yes. Well, I really appreciate it. I think those two are really, really great things on top of love. I mean, it's called unconditional love for a reason. Don't, nobody should base love off of what somebody can do for you or what you can do for somebody else. You've got to understand that first and foremost, and you have to unconditionally love yourself because if you don't, no matter if you're the child or the parent, you're not going to get very far um, helping that. And then communication obviously is the second biggest. Um, I think it helps along with all those other things, right? So if if you have that open line of communication with any parent, adult, um, child relationship, I think that open communication is just something that is, overlooked because I feel like parents, you know, they're like, they're scared to become a friend or, I mean, you're not there to be a friend. You're there to guide them, but you're also there for them to want to come to you with whatever it is that's going on. And, and that the only way to do that is through open communication. Hey, I'm struggling today. Even as a parent, I'm sorry, whatever happened, you know, giving yourself grace, allowing your children to see that opposite side of it too. Mommy messed up. She got upset. She is coming to me, explaining that to me so then I can forgive her. Then they, then they start feeling that, you know, back and forth with that relationship. So. Yeah. I love I, that. I, I love that. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so big. I, I hate to interrupt you there, but I no. so like, I'm a former army interrogator and, you know, I, yeah. I always like to say that, you know, like I'm a self-proclaimed expert in communication because I've done it so much. I've, I've seen every form of it, the psychological, you know, like, I mean, I'm writing a book on communication, but that doesn't mean that I don't mess it up. Like I got to apologize to my wife 
constantly because I don't communicate properly. I got to apologize to my child because I don't communicate properly, right? Like we're never perfect at it, but we definitely got to keep growing and learning. So yeah, don't be afraid to make those communication mistakes. And honestly, communicate when you make those mistakes. Like that's the most powerful thing. And I think it's also between, you know, you've taught me a lot as in from the child's side of it, right? Um, cause I, I, I have not had that experience. I, I, I have not, it's plain and simple. I grew up in a great household, you know, there were things, but not nearly as much as what somebody growing up in foster care would have dealt with. Um, and it's just so beneficial to talk to those type of people, um, because everybody has a different outlook and everybody can give you something. Right. So um, I really appreciate you being on. Where can people connect with you? Yeah. So uh, really big on Instagram. Uh, Real Talk with Roman. Search the hashtag Real Talk with Roman anywhere on any social media, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, Instagram, all those places. I'm there. I host a weekly podcast called Real Talk with Roman, 10 minute episodes about all the kind of topics that I wish I'd had access to to make me better in life. And I'm yep. going to give you a little taste of it so you can go make yourself better. So check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. And I, I look forward to hearing from any of you. Yeah. And I'm going to be putting that for those listening, all the links to where, where you that will be in the show notes. <laughs> so <laughs> You don't have to necessarily, you know, if you're driving, please don't stop and write that down. <laughs> it I love it. Yes. You. Yes. So, be a safe driver. Um, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you again. Uh, and I cannot wait. You, to, to see where this leads. So thank you for taking the time out. I appreciate it. Of course. It. This was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. And your questions were amazing. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified anytime we release a new episode. Also, if you feel called to, please go ahead and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback. Please check the show notes for any links to anything mentioned in this show. And as always, follow us on Instagram or join our Telegram group chat. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. Spread the sunshine wherever you go. See ya.